You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. And, uh, and I'm so grateful to Brian for his ministry, his family, and to you for being a part of Citrus, Citrus Church. Uh, as I was sharing with a, a few people this morning earlier, uh, earlier in my life, actually 25 years ago, because the church is having its uh, 25th anniversary service, um, our family helped to start a new United Methodist Church uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, and we had a time where we just met people. Then we had several years where we worshiped in a community college. Uh, and then we had built a building and we moved into that. And our kids, uh, our kids loved being in the community college. And they kind of mourned whenever we moved because it had just all kinds of features that a church building usually didn't have. Uh, I'm also the dad of... Uh, two daughters uh, and one granddaughter who's two years old. So the sounds of children are like music to my ears. So we're glad that you're here. And uh, I'm glad to be in your your space. What I'm going to share with you this morning is pretty simple uh, and straightforward and I hope is relevant to our lives. Uh, and uh, it comes really, I think, from one of the two stories that Jesus told that we remember the best. Uh, And this one is from Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. A lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told a story. Maybe you've heard this story before. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two days' wages and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I'll repay you whatever I owe you. Which of these three do you think, Jesus asked, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a story, as I mentioned, that uh, many of us know well. Many people know this story, even who don't have much of an attachment to, uh, to churches. Jesus is asked a question, and the question really at heart is, what's expected of me? Uh, how do I prepare for the final exam? What's expected of me? 
and Jesus says, well, you know the law. What, what, do you, what, what does the law say? So the guy quotes the law. Uh, it's the learning, the book learning that he knew. Jesus says, well, you know it. Just put that into practice. But the guy wants to push it a little, and he says, you know, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And as Jesus often did, he responds not with an answer, but with a story and with a question. So sometimes when you, we come to church, we want everything to just get nailed down. Okay, Jesus, what is the answer? Jesus says, here is the answer. That's not what Jesus said. He tells a story, a story that we remember, and he ends with a question. The question in response, a story in response to the question, who is my neighbor? And so the story unfolds. A man is going from one city to another city, and he falls among robbers. Uh, and he's stripped and beaten. When we do harm to someone else, we are communicating a profound reality. Your life for me. I'm going to take something that is yours for myself. And that's what the first character does, the robber. Your life for me. And then a couple of other characters come along, a priest and a Levite. So imagine the priest might have been wearing kind of a, a robe, kind of a minister's robe. And imagine the Levite is someone who's just kind of always going to Bible studies, knows a lot about the Bible. And as Jesus tells the story, uh, the priest and the Levite come along and see this person in trouble but they pass by on the other side. So whereas the robber had said, your life for me, the priest and the Levite are saying, my life for me, my life for me. In other words, they're not going to do harm to the person beside the road. They're just not going to get involved. Call it a sin of omission. And then there is a third character. Jesus says, this person is a Samaritan. Now just a little bit of Bible history. When, the North, when Israel divided into a northern and a southern kingdom, the northern kingdom was in Assyria, the southern kingdom was in Babylon. And so they, they went into what was called exile. They had to leave Jerusalem. They had to leave their land. And so some people went to the north, to the northern kingdom. Brian and I and a group of people went to that area on a pilgrimage a few years ago to the Holy Land. And so at some point, uh, Jerusalem was restored. That's uh, what we sing about in Handel's Messiah. People could come home. But some people liked it in the north. And they had kind of become comfortable with the people in the northern kingdom and they had intermarried and they had taken on their gods not only the god of the bible but the gods of the people who lived in Assyria it sort of mushed all that together they were called Samaritans and as you can imagine the really devout 
people of the Bible, the really devout people of, of Israel, really looked down on the Samaritans. Can you imagine that? Because we stuck to our principles. We were the people of character. You, on the other hand, you compromised. Well, the Samaritan comes along. And it turns out the Samaritan is going to be the hero of the story. Because the Samaritan does what? The Samaritan helps the man who was beat, the person who was beaten. The Samaritan gets involved. The Samaritan says, my life for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk. My life for you. Now, I have uh, been in ministry a long time. Uh, I've read this passage a long time. And, uh, and I've reflected on it in a lot of different ways. It's a story I know well. And sometimes when we know a story, they're the hardest ones to really reflect on. Have you ever been on an airplane, you're getting ready to take off, and uh, the steward, stewardess, starts talking, and they say, now, in the event of an accident, do all these things, do all these things. And you can look around an airplane, and, like, nobody's paying attention. <laughs> it's like they've heard this before, right? I mean, they've heard this, so they're looking into their purse and reading a book and fiddling with their device, electronic device. It can be a little bit that way with a story that we think we know well. You know, we think we know this story. We know how it ends. The robber, the priest, and the Levite, the good Samaritan. But it helps us to dig a little more deeply into it and to think about our context. I've been in Florida for, my, this is my eighth year. And in these eight years, we've had the Trayvon Martin shooting. We've had the Pulse murders. We've had the Parkland murders. We have a lot of violence in our culture. Violence in schools. Violence in movie theaters. It's just, there's a pervasive violence in our culture. Amen? Uh, and this is a story about violence. Uh, and it's a story about how we can be a neighbor in the midst of violence. How can we be the kind of people who say, my life for you? And how do we sometimes prejudge people and see people in a certain way? Uh, and uh, we miss what the gospel might really be saying to us. So late this summer, a friend and I were driving from one city to another. He's a good friend, and our, our two wives were in another car. They, they'd actually gone shopping. That's another story. They were going to meet us later, so that's why we were in different cars. So I was in my friend's car, and we'd left a city. We were driving to another city about two hours away, and we, we'd gone through a kind of a small town, and... We'd gone through a few traffic lights in that small town, and now we were just in the middle of the open country. And all of a sudden, his car just began to stall. Like, it just began to lose its power. And it was one of those big, you know, big Chevrolets. This is a nice, big car, you know, but something was going on. Now, I knew this area a lot better than he did, and so he said, are we near any kind of city? 
And I said, not that I know of, but let's just keep going. So we kept driving a little bit and we were slowing down and something was happening. And all of a sudden there was this sign where you could turn off. I'd never heard of this little town. Uh, and so we pulled off and we started driving on this two lane road for two or three miles. And there were some, there was dirt, there were pine trees. Occasionally there was a mailbox. And then all of a sudden on the right, there was a thrift store and a garage. And I said, this might be it. So we pulled in, we pulled in there and we got out. It was Friday afternoon, it was hot. We got out, there's a one person mechanic working in this garage. And we uh, start talking to him, he looks at our car and I could tell non-verbally what he was saying to us was, you're not from around here. That's what I felt like he was saying to us. And then he kind of put down what he was doing, what he was working on, and he came and looked at my friend's car and he op we opened up the hood and he started looking into it, fiddling with some things. And then he walked into his garage and we followed him. And I can say, being inside of his garage, nothing, nothing was air conditioned. Being inside of his garage, I immediately got the sense that this person and I would, would have a lot of differences. We would have differences in maybe the way we voted. We would have differences maybe in how many guns we had. Guns are fine, voting is fine. We would have, there were just a lot of posters and artifacts and sayings, and I thought, uh, you know, this person wouldn't show up on my Facebook feed, <laughs> you know. And so he looked at his computer, he had a computer there on his desk, and he, he made a couple of notes. And then he walked back to my friend's car, and I followed him back to the car. And, and he started working with the car, he started trying to rev up the motor, he, he, he started doing some things. He went back to his office, we followed him, he came back out. At some point, uh, I began to see this guy in a very different light. This went on for like an hour. I began to realize this person really knows what he's doing. And he has set aside on a Friday afternoon everything he was working on to help us. And in that moment, I felt like, you know, Ken, you're, you can be a very judgmental person. How you see this person, but you miss who this person really is. Um, and so I had some peanuts that I had had on the trip that I'd gotten somewhere and I asked him if he wanted some, some peanuts and he said, no thanks, he was not a real talker. But he was just working, doing his work. And, and at some point along the way, he just realized that there was no solution to what was going on in my friend's car. And so he made two phone calls. One was to, for a tow truck, and one was for, to the nearest dealer, which was about 20 minutes away. He, and he told us, he said, I've taken care of these two things. This is the best I can do. 
And uh, and so my friend and I got out our money, and he said, "I'm not going to take any of your money." And and that just sort of blew me away. So I'm not going to take any of your money. And and we really persisted. And what we gave him was a lot less than he could have demanded. And then at about that time, the tow truck arrived. Our wives arrived. We got into the car. We followed the tow truck. We said goodbye to the mechanic. As I've reflected on that experience, which took a lot of a day, it wasn't like the way I wanted to spend that day. As I've reflected on that, I remember the question of Jesus. Who was the neighbor? You know, I've got all this training to be a minister. <clears throat> I can read I can read this passage. Even in the even in the original language Jesus spoke it in. But but that day had it really sunk in for me of what it was. I love the experience of starting a new church. And in a couple of minutes, we'll pray for, for this church. Uh, when, I, when, we, when we were called to start a new church, uh, you just meet a lot of new people. Uh, and we met a lot of great people. Hundreds of people have been a part of that new church over these 25 years. It's called St. Timothy's United Methodist Church. And... Um, we were working on a mission statement early on, and I was trying to involve the leadership, not be so top-down, but try to let it become out of the community. And, and so I still remember um, a part of the mission statement was an expanding circle of acceptance, safety, and love. Now, safety was not my word. It's not a word I would have chosen. I, I puzzled over what were people saying when, uh, when they used the word safety. Over time, I began to, as I knew, got to know the people, I realized that if you live long enough, you're going to experience harm. Amen? Uh, you're going to be harmed. People you love are going to be harmed. We're going to be broken in some way. And like taking a car into that little garage in a, in a new church like Citrus, we bring our lives into this space. Uh, and we need some kind of restoring. We need some kind of repairing. I have a good friend uh, named Lillian. And Lillian is a pastor in the Midwest. Um, she's a minister in another denomination. She's gone through some really hard things in her life. She's a brilliant woman. Uh, and in her denomination, she recently wrote a devotional about this passage. Uh, and, and the title of the devotional was, Ditch Happens. <laughs> Ditch Happens. Uh, of course, it's about being in the ditch in this passage. If I, had, if I had gotten farther along in my preparation, I would have had a slide, this is my fault, that said, ditch happens. And I want to read you just four or five sentences 
of what Lillian, Lillian said. She says, this is a story of Jesus about humility. It's too convenient to aspire to be the character who is in control. It requires deeper spiritual work to relate to the one who feels abandoned in the ditch. Ditch happens. This story is yours to read from the ditchiest places in your otherwise beautiful life. She says, the story finally got real for me in midlife after spending some time in a ditch of my own making. And she would say she had made some mistakes. It was excruciating to lay low and watch people walk on by. But after indulging in the bitterness, my perspective started to change. When a few folks did stop by to help me along the way, it, she said, it felt like a miracle. My helpers were humble, offering personal kindness without a networking agenda or a social media photo op. She said, I remember how God sent these persons seem to be. And my prayer for Citrus is uh, simply that it'll be a group of people that God has sent into the lives of imperfect people. And we are all imperfect people. Amen. Uh, it's not a place where everybody has it together. It's a place where we bring our car into the shop and we say, you know, something's wrong. And maybe we accept help from a person we never would have imagined is going to be a person that's going to help us. And God, God can do that. God has always been doing that. God sends the unlikeliest person, the Samaritan, to, to take the person who's been broken and to take them to the end. And the image, one of the beautiful images in this parable for the church is the church is kind of like the inn. And you're all the innkeepers. And every couple, every individual, every person of any age, doesn't matter who they are, where they've been, it just does not matter. This is like an inn where people come to be healed. And, and my sense is our culture is going to change one person at a time, one family at a time, one church at a time, one community at a time, one region at a time, where we reflect the love of God, where we, we come to love our neighbors, and where we can say, you know, this is my church, and the best thing I can say about my church is that uh, they've been one of the ways God has healed me. And the church is a group of people I know who come to love me. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.